Welcome to Liberty Tech on Tap, where we talk and you tap in. If you're at a place where you can kick back and relax, pause this, grab a cold one. We promise we'll be here right when you get back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Liberty Tech on Tap. This is Joe, the VCIO of Liberty Technology, or one of the VCIOs of Liberty Technology. <clears throat> I wanted to first apologize for the lack of content posting we've been doing. Uh, everything's kind of starting to open back up, you know. Uh, people are starting to have conferences again, so we have all of our leadership team and internal teams flying here and there, learning about new practices, new things we can bring to our clients. So, want to apologize for that first, and that's a, a second why I'm the only person on this podcast today. We uh. We got a lot of things going on. We want to make sure our clients are always taken care of first and foremost. So when duty calls, we are at the beck and call, right? Uh, so this one, we're going to kind of talk about a, a recent thing that happened. I don't know if most of you have probably heard about it, but the the uh, hack of Uber, I guess you could almost say, right? And how it happened, um, what type of steps that the intruder took, and some best practices that you can bring back to your business. Because we're trying to focus this podcast to be for business owners, um, C-suite and decision makers who, you know, understand a little bit of IT but need some help along the way, this is to kind of help you get you on the bleeding edge of, you know, what is best practice for those types of things. Um, so, you know, cybersecurity comes down a lot to people. Uh, people are involved in the processes and their people are weak a lot of the times, right? So um, you can have all the processes in place, but if you don't have regular cybersecurity training and letting employees and your and your workers know about some of the vulnerabilities that can come about in their systems uh, it's really hard to defend against it so now a lot of this information may be conjecture right so we only know what this person who has broken into uber uh, has told us Um, we're pretty sure that all the screenshots that we've seen all over the internet are real and they look very real Um, But we want to make sure that we don't reach a conclusion right away. So it's another reason why I didn't want to record right out the gate because I wanted to kind of get more information um, from people in the industry to make sure, you know, this is what what they said it was, right? Um, So if this stuff does change in the future, uh, please excuse the uh, information we give you in this podcast, but it's just more of an awareness. So... Let's get into it. So Uber, we all know what Uber is, right? It was a startup way back in the day, a DevOps startup, um, which DevOps, you know, funny enough, do the uh, move fast, break fast, pivot fast, right? Like develop it. If it breaks, well, okay, we'll we'll pivot and try to fix it as quickly as possible. But the thing with DevOps a lot of the times is we want to make sure that things are secure before we launch them. So that could have been just an aftermath of something Uber you know, didn't look into. I think Uber's security budget, I want to say, is $200 million. Uh, and that's actually where this came from. The person who exploited the system, they only had a $15,000 bounty bug on it. Uh, and he, he or she said, or the group said, that they would have done the right thing if the bounty budget was larger, <laughs> funny enough. So person goes by teapots 2022 well they're thinking they are a part of lapsus which is a organizational group that does this type of hacking they were the ones responsible for microsoft and okta uh, and he's 18 years old so we kind of categorize these people as kind of like um uh you know people who just uh, just use script right so they use just processes and automated things to break into your system so they're not exactly um, sophisticated, but they work and they're readily available and bought, um, I call them script puppies. I'm not mistaken, but so essentially what happened was, um, the person was able to, um, infiltrate their network by using, 
um, something he purchased off the dark web. Um, and in the screenshots, you could actually see log ID downloads that were completed. And these log ID downloads were two accounts of contracted employees that work for Uber. Um, and these are readily available on the dark web. And information has shown that they were purchased two to three days before the hack actually happened. So we're pretty sure that that is true. Um, and one of those password that he found was actually a senior uh, security account. So pretty big account to get into, right? Um, so let's say you're in, right? You get the password for the specific person. Well, okay, you have the password. Does your organization have two-factor enabled, right? So two-factor, if the password's stolen, okay, they still are going to need to approve a two-factor. That can be done via a phone call, a text message, or a push notification. Some people use Duo, some people use Otters, different ones that you can use, but okay. So that would have stopped there. Problem was, the person identified themselves using WhatsApp, uh, identified themselves as someone that worked for Uber security and technical support, and they needed the person to approve the MFA in order to get into their account to fix an issue. Uh, so... <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, they let them in. And sometimes we call this uh, MFA fatigue. And it's actually becoming more and more popular for, um, you know, security breaches because what these what these threat actors are doing are essentially spamming people's devices with multi-factor requests. And the person on the other side, I was like, what's going on? Like, I'm just going to hit approve just to make this go away. But that's exactly what, you know, that's exactly what they want you to do, right? So when you look at your MFA, you want to look into things like thresh limitations. So making sure that, um, you know, an account gets locked, let's say. Okay, so we, we have a complex password. Um, we have MFA enabled, but now they're around MFA, right? So once they're around MFA, um, they were able to get into the VPN endpoint, right? So the ability to get into Uber's entire network infrastructure via an endpoint. So you would think that, well, it has to end there, right? And, and if you're, let's say you're in the VPN, essentially, you're, you're limit, do you have limitations on what you can actually do, right? It's whatever's going to be stored on the user's computer or whatever is stored in the internet, right? And what happened was the threat actor essentially scanned the, uh, the internet to essentially find network shares. And in one of the network shares, was a PowerShell script. So PowerShell, or I mean, best way to say it, is it's essentially think of it like a a, a WordPad file almost that you can build to execute a certain command using coding, right? And the problem with PowerShell is it's very, you know, it's very old school in terms of being able to get information in it. I mean, it's 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 text based format, right? So within that. Um, Within that PowerShell script was a account information for a break glass. So break glass is used in the IT field for emergency purposes only, right? And break glass essentially would be, let's say you have this very integral system you have to get into and it's completely covered with MFA, but um, the MFA is down and it's not working and you've got to get in. So what break glass does is essentially get through all those processes. Uh, best rule of thumb is break glass is usually stored in a physical safe. Like it's not stored in a file or on a computer. And when break glass is made, it's burned. Like it's, it's we get rid of it essentially if we don't store it offsite in a physical safe. 
So he was able to get the uh, information from that PowerShell script to then get into the cred server for the entire company. Well, the cred server, excuse the uh, ambulance that's going near me, the cred server had all of the information for all of their stuff, right? So he was not only to get into the AWS account, so the root user, so that's essentially um, their vSphere, all all the stuff, all the VMs that they use. He was able to get into the a super admin user for their Google account. Um, he was able to get into their Sentinel One account, which is their uh, which is their AV protection, you know, their EDR stuff. He was able to get in even into their Slack, uh, which is essentially their communications system, and that's where he actually posted that he had hacked Uber system and. Everyone kind of thought it was a joke. They kind of played along with it. Um, and crazy enough, it wasn't picked up by their SEM. So their, you know, their event and incident management tools. So like kind of what happened there, right? Uh, and then Uber essentially notified using internal channels eventually that, you know, that employees should stay out of Slack. But like who's, you know, you see like a train. They tell you not to look at the, at the burning train. Everyone looks, right? And he even posted a picture of the amount of data that uh, Uber has stored, which is actually 1.11 petabytes, which is, it's a lot of data, right? Um, so essentially he was able to socially, he was able to essentially buy creds offline, buy creds from the dark web, use those creds, MFA fatigue an employee, um, trick an employee uses social engineering to let him in, and then essentially really bad security practices by that company led to the ability for him to get into everything he wanted um, and essentially do whatever he wanted. So we can learn a couple things from this. And there's a couple different tactics you as a business owner can use um, and leveraging someone like an MSP to kind of give you best practices for those types of things, right? So least privileges doesn't always apply to people, but it also supply comes to platforms, right? So we like to say we use the AAA. We use the access, the authentication, and the accounting, right? What do they have access to? How do they authenticate? And are we accounting, essentially knowing what they're accessing and when they're accessing it? And, and when they're authenticating, a two-factor we can use the has, knows, or is, right? So has would be a token, right? So like a duo token or a cell phone for push. You have uh, you have a knows, so it would be like a password, a birthday, a social security, and is would be what they are. So facial recognition, fingerprint, things like that. So it's much harder to steal is than it is uh, has and knows, right? And, and has, yeah, can be taken too. Um, but you can, you know, like what we see, MFA fatigue, we've gotten around the has portion of t of a factor authentication by just, you know, spamming them essentially. Um, and we have to look at things like who has access and why do they have access and why do they need access, right? So what an MSP will do is help you identify those types of things where it's someone from marketing does not need to have access to accounting and someone from sales does not need to have access to, excuse me, to all the da data backups for the whole entire company, right? So the less people we give access to certain things, the better off a lot of the times we'll be. The other question is, where was Uber's incident response plan here? Okay, so let's say there is a breach that a breach does not note that's not seen, right? And what is Uber doing to notify employees to get out of certain systems or to 
to, to you know to protect themselves against you know future threat actors right so your msps are able to give you that response plan so like let's say there was an internal breach at liberty technology are you know what channels are we using to notify employees and what channels are we using to notify clients I think as an MSP, it's important to notify clients of these types of breaches because it helps kind of identify certain loopholes in their systems or maybe not thinking about certain things, right? Um, yeah, so, and then we talk about like a break glass account. So when we create a break glass account, we would want to, like I said, burn it instantly, right? And get rid of it. Okay, so let's say that there's one person who's in charge of that. Well, that's not good enough. And auditing, what auditing helps you do is allowing multiple people to essentially be in charge of that thing. So it's a terrible example, but think about setting off an, like a nuclear code, right? The code stored, two people have to push the button or three people have to push the button and turn the key at the exact same time, right? That's kind of the thought process here is that when you have multiple people involved in the process, uh, it becomes that multiple people to check and balance the systems, right? To make sure that the proper procedures are being followed to make sure it was actually completed. Uh, and those are some of the things that you can do. Um, and again, storing passwords and files. Okay. We make a joke. Like if we go to a client business or an office and we go up to their computer and on the monitor is a post-it note with their password. Okay. Well, that's kind of getting around the point. Now it, it's not going to help somebody who's remotely accessing, but let's say I'm someone that, you know, cases a specific joint. And if you don't think that your business has been cased before, it has, you know, that's, that's physical security, right? So someone comes into your building, they look at the way people move to the office, what doors are locked, what doors aren't, what doors that are locked that have things inside, and what doors that are unlocked that have things inside. So think about this as a business owner, you have your, you know, all your, layer one, your networking equipment on site, and you have all these great defenses in place, but your server and your network closet is just open. I mean, you turn the handle on the door and I can go right up. There's no key. There's no camera. There's no auditing system of who's walking in, walking out. I can literally walk in, unplug a cord or hey, just, Hey, and call and say, Hey, I'm in a room with access to all your stuff. Right? So physical security becomes a super important part with that. That's why we do not store passwords on computers. We can use things like password security um, tools that allow us to have master passwords, encrypt passwords using, you know, like SHA-256 and stuff like that to where things are, you know, things are protected, right? Um, that's important. So having the right tools and using the right third-party applications or applications, right? Because not to name what application this was that was used, but the product quality, um, that this specific thing had was was pretty lackluster and the crazy part about it was it had a lot of add-ons so you got this tool and the tool did what you need to do but if you wanted things like governance right so let's say so this for instance was pam uh tool and that is a privilege access management tool so what can this user access on a day-to-day -day basis well in order for you to be able to govern and add approval workflows to that specific tool. So essentially, this person got in, this person is asking for approval, well, who's gonna be there to approve it, right? Checks and balances? Well, that's an add-on feature. That's something you have to pay extra for, which just absolutely, absolutely blows my mind. It's like, you want the tool, but if you want it to be secure, you gotta pay us extra. 
So MSPs will help you navigate that as well, making you help you choose the right tools for your business. Like what do you actually need? What do you not need? And governance helps a lot too, because it helps you identify like how many people have access to the keys, right? We don't want the entire organization to have privilege access or admin access to certain tools they don't need. So governance helps us check what those things are. But they say the majority of security breaches and it's the truth, right? It comes down to human. It comes down to uh, cybersecurity training and training people to make the right decisions. So if this, crazy enough, this uh, cyber, this senior security analyst, you'd think he would follow the NIST framework and have all these things in place, but he not only fell to MFA fatigue, he also fell to someone pretending um, to be to be a, uh, a Uber um, support. Why would they message him through WhatsApp? That kind of blew my mind, right? You'd think they'd message you through Slack first, but even then, um, you know, teaching people those types of things, um, making sure people are aware and being trained that, hey, we don't do those types of things. And we also don't store passwords in scripts, right? We don't store passwords uh, on our desktops. We don't store passwords in browsers, right? Those types of things, you're, you're just asking for it. Um, and... Just making sure that we stay up to date on separate, we're staying up to date on the new practices that are coming out and making sure that we have somebody that's constantly watching that stuff. Now that's where MSPs come into place. So you can have an internal IT staff, right? And they do the day-to-day functioning. They help with, you know, endpoints. They help with basic stuff, but all the stuff behind the scenes that, you know, you might not see, there are things happening behind the scenes. And there are tools that MSPs use to help make sure that threat actors are not targeting um, your organization. And one of those things that we use is dark web monitoring, right? Identifying, hey, your password was just your password was just discovered on a dark web monitoring site, and this is the password, and this is where they got the password from. So let's change it, right? Um, is a great way to be able to make sure that certain things don't happen. Cybersecurity is always a step behind the threat actors, right? Because vulnerabilities don't pop up into place until the vulnerability is discovered. Um, So we just have to make sure that we're always staying ahead of the game and those types of things. So as a business owner, we wanna look at what our infrastructure looks like, what are we worried about the most, and security is very quickly, if it's not already the number one thing, it it absolutely should be. And And it sounds like people are starting to learn from it, right? That you know, deep states and, you know, countries, they're not the only threat actors, you know, um, script kitties. That's what I said it before incorrectly, but, you know, script kitties are, you know, young running out of their mom's, uh, mom or dad's basement, having fun on the internet, trying to break into things. I mean, you'd be surprised what they can do. And if, and if this person is who he says, he or she says they are, it's looks like a script kitty, then, an 18-year-old just took down a very, very large company's IT structure very, very quickly. Um, so they say the people always make the comment, "It can't happen to me." You know, it, it's not. Will it happen? It's when it will happen. And I don't want to get into the fud, right? The fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We don't want to sell those types of things or market it. But it's the truth. I mean, it does happen. And when it happens, how does your business respond? Are there checks and balances throughout your business that will reduce the amount of damage that is done? And does your company have a plan in place to be able to remediate? 
uh, and fix as quickly as possible. Those are the types of things that you want to think about when you're also picking an MSP, right? Um, we talk about, um, you know, if we bring your company back up, how fast can we bring your company back up? And uh, people will use all these different, um, all these different things, marketing terms to say, oh yeah, we can do that. But it comes down to actually being able to do it and actually being able to prove it. So if we look at things like NIST, not to bore you, but the framework, you know, we talk about, we detect, uh, we identify, we protect, we detect, we respond, and we recover. And in that type of framework, um, version 1.1, that will help you kind of get an understanding of what to do. So, know is a lot of information, but this is a really good learning experience for um, any type of business owner, whether it's a small, uh, large business owner or like a, a huge company, right? We could spend all sorts of money, put all these practices into place, all these great tools that some have loopholes, right? But at the end of the day, it came down to people and not training your staff to be cyber aware and secure leads to these types of things. You could put everything you want in the world uh, in between you and the internet, but the people is what's going to create the biggest issue. So call to action. What do you do, right? You identify what you currently have. So where you are and where you want to be. And then you find someone to help you kind of get there. So with Liberty Technology, we offer all different sorts of things for that. Um, so implore you to come to our website, um, give us a call, and let us know how we can help you do those types of things. Uh, we offer all sorts of things that could have helped in this situation. But again, cybersecurity training is something you should definitely look at. So are your employees required to do trainings? Uh, are your employees fished on a normal basis, right? So we... You know, we send, let's say, phishing emails out to employees at other companies to see if they can actually catch them. And if they catch them, we reward them. And if they don't, hey, look, you came across a fish. This could have been bad if you actually clicked it because it was fake, right? And then we also do things like assessments to being able to determine the types of loopholes in your systems. And there's a lot of companies applying for cybersecurity insurance. And insurance rates are going up. And insurance companies are going to be are paying out like crazy. So how many insurance companies are going to be around the end of the day but in order to get cybersecurity insurance there's a lot of things you have to have in place and we've seen companies that you know weren't our clients submit cybersecurity insurance like hey i need cybersecurity insurance look at this and tell me what we don't have and it's like out of these hundred things you have two right and you'd be surprised the wideness of the eyes and you know people are just like well we need it going now and it's like well it takes longer than that right so, uh, great learning experience. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope to have more of the team back shortly for a new episode. I'm not too sure that's going to be. We still got to finish up some collaboration WebEx stuff. Um, and we also hope to have some vendors coming on to the podcast soon too. So you can hear from industry leading platform applications and leaders to kind of talk about what they offer and stuff to help you make a better decision as a business owner or C-suite to be able to, you know, make those decisions. So yeah, sorry it was just me. I don't, I'm not going to do like the would you rather thing because I'd be kind of weird by myself, but thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, forget to like, hit subscribe and comment in the comment section below um, or comment in your podcast instant of choice. Ratings help us a ton to help us climb to the top of the list when it comes to these types of things. Uh, we're doing our best to make this podcast for people who don't exactly work in technology, but need to understand it in order to be able to run their business. So 
Guys, thank you again. Until next time, we'll see you later.